Well, this morning we come to a very, very important topic, one that we have been announcing for the last couple of weeks. Today we are going to answer the question, possibly, what in the world is going on? How many of you, like me, may are, are starting to have trouble turning on the evening news each and every night? It's starting to get really disheartening and concerning, isn't it? And we see all of these situations happening before us, and yet often we don't have the context to which we can put all of these things into to say, oh, this is why these things are happening. As one person asked a news reporter, they said, please help us make sense out of these senseless or seemingly senseless acts. The world is asking questions like never before. And as a result, we need to be prepared with answers for the eventuality of being asked those questions by the world. The world is troubled by what they see, and yet they are trying to understand it through the pursuits of psychology. The fundamental question that psychology attempts to answer for us is, why does a person do what they do? And yet, when psychologists and psychiatrists are asked about this, we are, of course, immediately confronted with the notions of mental illnesses. And we would understand that, that this is how they would categorize that. But many psychologists and psychiatrists, if I believe pressed on the issue, would first and foremost have to answer a fundamental question concerning human existence. Before we can go on to understand all of these individual events and why the people have done what they have done, we need to answer a question first and foremost. And that question is, is a person um, inherently evil, good, or born morally neutral? This is a question that psychology vacillates on greatly, with the vast majority of them believing that most people are born good with some born morally neutral and very few born evil. But is that the truth? Are we dealing with an external problem where mere society and circumstances have led individuals in these manners to manifest in such horrific events as we are now seeing and watching for ourselves on the evening news? Or are we simply seeing a manifestation of the heart of an individual that has always been there? These are questions that our world is asking today. And I believe that as Christians, we have the answer. Having the insight of the Bible itself, we know the inner workings of man. When it comes to anthropology, the study of man, the Bible is where we begin to understand the character and the nature of man in and of itself. This morning, as we look, we would obviously say that we live in troublesome times, if not as the New King James puts it so, uh, uh, so well, they say perilous times. We live in perilous times. But why is that? 
This morning, I want to take a look at the landscape around us as we then move to answer the question, what in the world is going on? There are five different headlines that have caught my attention since the beginning of 2017 that I have been watching, that I have been following as they have progressed and they have uh, developed over a period of time. The first one we must address is the rate of suicide in America. Just by some of your nods and facial expressions, you've already been confronted with this reality. Suicide in America is at epidemic proportions. We must deal with the epidemic of pornography in our nation and in our culture. Pornography plays a distinct role in the development of relationships between male and female. Pornography is now setting the standard for the entertainment community around us. And we will be surprised by the findings that we will offer in just a moment. But let us also understand that accompanying all of this is an opiate epidemic like we have never seen before in our culture, in our country. Opiates can be everything from prescription drugs that are being abused by the individual all the way to heroin that is being abused. We have an heroin epidemic in our culture that is staggering. And yet we don't appear to want to acknowledge it. If this wasn't enough, we have a nation now who has secured nuclear weapons threatening the existence of the United States of America. And people are asking, how did it ever come to this? This just didn't happen overnight. This has been culminating and, uh, and progressing for decades. And then lastly, let us understand that on October 1st of this year, in Las Vegas, we saw an event like never before, a mass shooting of unheard proportion. What does all of this mean? What are we seeing? Hasn't history always been like this? Yes, it has. But it seems to be getting worse as time goes on. And my answer to that is, yes, it is. This morning, we're going to try to put some context to it all for you. And I believe that the Lord wanted us to dive into this subject this morning, not only to be able to answer the questions that the world may pose to us concerning these things, but also for our church's sake. We need to once again rediscover the urgency in which we live in as believers in Jesus Christ. We need to understand that we are certainly in the last days. We need to live our life accordingly. And we need to, again, once again, be available to those around us as individuals who have the answer for the hope that is in us. For Jeremiah wrote these words, the heart is deceitful above all things 
and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That is the beginning of all of the psychological pursuits, trying to understand and answer the question why man does what they do. And as a result, it is that in which we look to answer for you today in our time together this morning. Let us pray for a moment. Father, I come before you as we lay out these gruesome statistics, Lord. I pray, Lord, that these things would be used to shake off the apathy, the carnality, the complacency that maybe we find ourselves in today as believers in Jesus Christ, that, Father, it would once again focus our eyes upon you, knowing the signs and the times in which we live, and that, Father, once again, we would be about your business sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone who would listen, making it a purposed drive to share the gospel to the fallen and lost world. So Lord, let the work of the Spirit begin here in us this morning. And Father, we ask this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The epidemic of suicide in America is now at an all-time high. In 2013, suicide was the seventh leading cause of death for all uh, demographic or age brackets. I am here to tell you this morning that the information that I am giving to you concerning the rate of suicide in the United States of America is directly from the CDC itself. The Centers of Disease Control in Atlanta, Georgia, they are absolutely concerned about what we see happening here in the United States of America. I would not be surprised that if I were to ask for a show of hands of how many people here have either known someone uh, directly or indirectly that has committed suicide, the vast number of hands here in this auditorium would go up. Suicide is rampant. Again, just 10 years ago, it was the seventh it was the seventh leading cause of death in every category. In 2017, Ages between 45 and 54, it is now the fifth cause of death amongst that age group. In 2017, the 35 to 44, it is the fourth cause of death in the United States of America. In 2017, the age group of 15 to 34... In 2017, the age group of 15 to 34, it is now the second leading cause of death in the United States of America. Between those who are 10 to 14 years old, it is the third leading cause of death in the United States of America. And out of the totals of those who commit suicide, 78% of those are young men who do so though it is more common for females to think about suicide it is more common for males to actually go through with it 
Suicide is rampant. The very first funeral that I ever performed was for a young man, 21 years old, who committed suicide on the phone with his fiance. When she broke up with him, he took a gun to his head and shot himself while on the phone with her. I was there just moments after it occurred. When my wife and I went to the memorial service here in this area, it was filled with his friends from high school. And his mother came up to me in the middle of that memorial and she asked me, would you say a few words? Would you help explain why this has occurred? What a job. But I did feel that the Lord wanted me to to give the gospel. And so in front of 200 individuals, I proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope that it brought. And I cannot tell you the number of people that talked with me afterwards. Suicide is a reality in the United States of America that we must acknowledge. People are desperate. They are in pits of despair. And today, in the younger demographic categories, we have discovered that they can handle very little when it comes to any kind of adversity, trial, or difficulty. And one of the very first considerations for them is to try to commit suicide. How did this all occur? Well, it is interesting that as we see the self-centeredness and the entitlement of the United States of America grow right alongside of it, we see individuals not being personally satisfied because they never can be satisfied, then leaning towards suicide. Suicide is a problem here in the United States of America that cannot be overlooked. In fact, just two weeks ago, our church was affected by a suicide of a member of our church's best friend who decided to end her life that we had been praying for. It is everywhere. We need to take it seriously. We need to address it when it arises. We must not just simply dismiss it, though in many cases we do believe that it is a cry for attention. But what we find happening because of the lack of value of life, they then proceed to try to attempt it and in actuality in cases taking their lives. We must be aware that suicide is an issue here in the United States of America, especially for those between 15 and 34 years old. Isn't it interesting that as the suicide statistic decreases, so does the belief in God. It increases. So as the statistic decreases for those who are older in committing suicide, their belief in God increases. And it is more likely that one who has a belief in God will be less likely to commit suicide. Does that mean a Christian never commits suicide? They do. Is suicide the unpardonable sin that keeps them from heaven? No, it is not. But it is a tragedy. It is something that our church needs to be aware of, and we need to be actively praying for our congregation and the young people of our church. 
That leads me to my next, which is the opiate epidemic that is taking place. Today in the United States of America, two million people are struggling with the disorder of opiate addiction. 2.1 million will use prescription, misuse prescription drugs for the very first time this year. Heroin users are now at 828,000 in America and 135,000 will use heroin for the very first time. It's called being on the nod. Out of those individuals, 70,941 deaths per year in overdosing and it is costing our society $79 billion a year in help and rehabilitation for these people who are addicted, addicted to opium. I'm sorry, opiates. The heroin epidemic in our inner cities is out of control. Let me explain to you one fact. In Detroit, Michigan, in the city library that is located there in the city of Detroit, the library is located next to a park where heroin addicts often reside. And because of the number of overdoses and the number of deaths within that park, the city of Detroit has gone to the librarians of the library right next door and showed them how to administer the life-saving drug to keep these people who overdose from dying. So librarians go out during their break, during their lunch, looking for people who overdose and then administer this shot and then call 911. On average, four to five shots are given a day. Let us wake up. Talking to someone in our church just recently, at 19 years old, they were a heroin addict. And they were in the inner city. And they were part of sweeping raids by the police that wouldn't just pick up 10 to 12 people at a time, but two to 300 people at a time. The heroin epidemic is paralleling the crack epidemic of the 1980s. And today, heroin is being manufactured as crack is being manufactured, where one exposure to the heroin immediately addicts the user. If that wasn't terrible enough. Pornography in America is out of control. I cannot tell you how much pornography is destroying our nation. Folks, this subject to me is so personal because of the number of men that I have ministered to that have been broken by their addiction of pornography. I want to give you some statistics that now are firmly confirmed to allow you to truly understand how big this problem is. You might have always known that pornography was a problem in our society. But let me give you some statistics that will lead you to further understanding of how Desperately, we need deliverance from this epidemic. 12% of total websites that contain pornography on the internet. 25% of search engine requests relate to pornography. 
28,000 number of internet users viewing pornography every second here in the United States of America. 75 billion average monthly unique visitors to adult websites and also 43% of all internet users who view pornography view it online. 75% of people who accidentally view pornography on site and also 81% of Americans who believe the federal laws against internet obscenity should be um, vigorously enforced. 266, the number of new uh, pornographic websites that appear online every single day. 3,000, approximate number of English language websites that distribute child pornography. One in seven number of use who report being solicited for sex online. 11 is the age at which the average child is first exposed to adult material. 7 in 10 10 number of children who uh, inadvertently viewed online pornography. There are 1,536 number of sites featuring child pornography, according to the Internet Watch Foundation. 58% of those sites that are housed in the United States, 58% of these sites are housed in the United States of America, these child pornography sites. The percentage of kindergarten and first grade students have reportedly seen online content made them feel uncomfortable, 48% of them said so. 34% of teenage girls who've shared photo or physical descriptions of themselves compared to 15% of teenage boys. $89 is the amount spent on internet pornography in the United States every second. $13 billion estimated revenue by uh, the pornographic industry here in the United States of America. And worldwide, it is now over... $131 billion worldwide generating revenue from pornography annually. This is out of control. And the internet is the perfect vessel in which Satan has now used to bring this into the hearts and the minds of the people of our nation. 11-year-olds addicted to pornography Individual children looking for pornography on the first time. I didn't even get into the number of children who have gone on their parents' computer only to find out that one of their parental uh, parents have viewed pornography prior to them getting onto the system. This is eroding our relationships. And of course, as a result, we have rape that is increasing And now look at all of a sudden how many sexual assaults are being reported in the news. You can't go one day without someone claiming, specifically from Hollywood, that they have been sexually abused in some way. It is now being reported that, of course, Hollywood has been an institution for pedophilia in the United States of America. Let us be aware of these things. Let us understand that this is where we are gathering our entertainment from. It is out of control. Marriages are falling apart. 
People don't know how to have relationships intimately with one another any longer within a a marriage relationship because of the effects of pornography upon that relationship. When I was growing up, the only way to get what we would call a a nudie magazine was by going to 7-Eleven and distracting the guy at the counter so one of us could reach over the back of the counter, grab the magazine, and run out the front door. Today, all you have to do is access your phone, and you quickly can be viewing images that are just simply appalling. It is so readily available. Even Bill Gates in the late 1990s was so concerned about pornography that he told the federal government that if they would pass legislation allowing for the last three letters to be dot .xxx, we could filter out most of this from viewing in one's personal home. Federal government rejected it and claimed that it was a violation of freedom of speech. Today, folks, it's an epidemic that people view these images, they see these videos, and they think, this is what a relationship should look like. This is what my intimacy with my wife should look like or my husband should look like. It is absolutely deceiving. It is not truth. It is a fantasy. And it has been one of the greatest tools by Satan to cripple the Christian community. The number of Christian men that are struggling with pornography is just incredible. And when you see how broken they are, you see how devastating pornography has been. This isn't some light, casual uh, affection to pornography. Once an image has been viewed, to remove it from the mind is almost next to impossible, as psychologists have now told us. If this wasn't enough, now we have... North Korea. North Korea has now openly stated that they have the ability to deliver a nuclear weapon to the shores of the United States of America. And people are asking, how did it come like this? How did we get to this place? It happened after World War II. When Korea then began to divide itself to the communist north and the free south that led to our police action in the 1950s, that never led to a victory but led to a stalemate that created a demilitarized zone right through the middle of the country that is still there to this day, flooded with landmines trying to keep each at bay from the other. But today, in 2017, those landmines are useless. For a Stalinesque dictatorship has been placed within the regime of North Korea, who then believes that the world is out to destroy them, and that is the propaganda in which he delivered to his citizens to allow them their military expansion in the light of the poverty of their populace. They've tested a hydrogen bomb, but for years they could not miniaturize it to allow it to be of any kind of effect around the world. They also did not perfect a delivery system that would allow them to deliver a weapon of mass destruction. 
For years, decades, aid for arm deals have failed. Sanctions from the UN have failed. Their only ally, China, has put enormous economic and political pressure upon them. That has failed. The U.S. now has stated openly that military force may be needed. But is it real for this time? And what's scaring the world is this. The two deterrents, their delivery system and the miniaturization of their weapons was the saving grace that we had. They have overcome both. We now have it on good sources that Iran has sold them the technology to allow them to deliver a missile cross-continental and to strike a zone uh, of its origin, or I should say of its uh, targeting region precisely. They did not have the ability to send a missile long distances because they did not have the satellites to track it. They have no. now. They also have miniaturized their devices and they are selling them back to Iran. And now we see that the most feared weapon ever released on the human Race is now in the hands of these rogue states. What do you do in the light of this? Experts have said this. The rhetoric and exchange has become more incendiary and personal, and we are increasingly alarmed at the rate of escalation. This is real, folks. This isn't something that we are reading in science fiction or something that may happen in another's lifetime. It is here on our doorstep right now and we need to be earnestly praying for our government. We need to be earnestly praying that we make the right decisions going forward. He has been appeased in North Korea for decades and now he has the technology. This is the same argument that's going on in the Middle East. But then it was just the simple annihilation of Israel. And so it didn't trouble the Americans nearly as much as it's troubling Americans today concerning North Korea. But let us consider if North Korea and Iran both succumb and get the nuclear weapons that they want, what do you think they're going to do with them? Let's be honest with ourselves. This is the power and the notability that they have wanted and asked for for decades. They now have in their capabilities. Let's come back home to Sunday, October 1st in Las Vegas, Nevada. We're at 9.40 p.m., 22,000 people gathered for a country music concert. And as the people gathered there at 10.05, a man named Stephen Paddock began shooting from an open window on the balcony of his Mandalay Bay hotel room. And he shot for 10 minutes straight into this crowd, not seeing who he was hitting, just shooting away, as the police finally got up there by 1019, 
They entered this 32nd floor and then they had to go room by room by room and finally breached his room at 11.20 to find the suspect on the floor. The next day we discovered 58 people were killed and 517 people were injured. And in that time of horrific um, manifestation of evil, we saw people in such selfless, heroic acts. Individuals who brought their family out then ran back in to save another. Veterans who were grabbing people that were close to them, laying them on the ground and then laying on top of them to cover them from the barrage of bullets that took place. The shootings in the United States of America is out of control. There is no denying it any longer. We are seeing it in our schools. We are seeing it at concerts. We are seeing it at malls. We are seeing it at movie theaters. It is out of control. And we try to simplify it by stating that simple or more strict gun laws are needed to suppress the violence that we see taking place before us. Too bad we didn't have a city that had some of the most strictest gun laws in all of the United States of America to see if this actually works or not. Oh, we do. It's called Chicago. Just this year alone, in the city of Chicago, from January to October 1st, 3,061 shots were fired. 2,529 people were shot and wounded. 532 people were shot and killed. A person is shot every 2.18 hours here in the city of Chicago. And a murder occurs every 12 hours and 18 minutes. And yet we have some of the strictest gun laws in all of the country. Does it seem to be inhibiting gun violence? No, because we cannot deal with an internal problem with, by external means alone. When we were talking with the youth group here at the church just after the shooting in Las Vegas, we took the whole evening to discuss evil in this world and what is happening. And one of the students of the youth group was so candid. He said openly to all of us, you know, in my lifetime, it's just becoming so commonplace. I said, oh boy, this next generation is desensitized. This is not a common occurrence. There, these shootings did not take place 40 years ago like they are taking place today. But this younger generation is taking that to be normal. And so again, we are confronted with the reality of what is the problem? Why are people doing what they are doing? I want to take a look now at Scripture with you. Because the problem is clearly spoken about in the Word of God. Everything that I have told you, Jesus tells us exactly where all of that comes from. And why this evil is raging in the days in which we live. It's all there in the Bible for us to know and to understand. 
Let us begin with Jesus' own words. For he tells us in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart comes what? Evil thoughts. It's on behind me, hopefully. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. It's out of the heart of the individual that these things come. Our hearts, as Jeremiah said, who are deceitful beyond all can, that all can be and are desperately sick. The human heart. As James goes on to tell us, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it fully is grown, brings forth death. It begins with inside the human heart. As James went on to say in James 4, 1 through 2, he says this. The new King James nails it. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for your pleasures that war within your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covenant and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. The problems that we are seeing around us are the manifestations of the wickedness of the human heart. And for many of us, this is difficult for us to swallow because we have been told that people are inherently good and circumstances taint them, stain them, change them to become the monsters that they become. The Bible says, no, man is inherently wicked. His heart is sick. His heart is deceitful. And sin and evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality all stem from the heart of man, the fallen heart of man. But why is it getting worse? It's getting worse because we continue to push God out of our society. God, the great restrainer, working in the conscience of the individual. In the Hebrew language, the word conscience and heart in English is used uh, synonymously for the same Hebrew word, kind of indicating the same region or area of the inward person. When consciences are governed by a higher authority, such as the morality of Scripture, then when a person grows angry, the restraint of that conscience ceases their progression before they manifest it in harm or in murder towards another. When sexual immorality presents itself, when they are governed by a higher conscience or a higher uh, morality, the morality of Scripture, before that evil is manifested and produced and openly um, shown and displayed, that restraint causes one to retreat and not push forward. But notice what Paul says. Romans chapter 1, as he talks about the increasing sin of the age, getting worse as it's getting closer to the return of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in Romans 1, 28 through 32. 
And since, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do whatever ought not to be done. Let's just stop there for a moment. Because I believe that what we are seeing in the United States of America is the beginning of this. That God is giving our society over to, to a debased mind because we as a nation have said we have no need for him. And as a result of that debased mind, look at what the, the manifestation of that debased mind looks like in verse 29. They are filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. They are gossips and slanderers, haters of God. They're insolent and haughty and boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish and faithless, heartless and ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who such practice such things deserve to die, yet they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Many of you might have heard this term post-Christian era. Have you heard this? It's being discussed a lot in our academic society that we in the United States of America are in a post-Christian era. Christendom, as they would call it, is dead. We are now in a post-Christian era. To many secular academics, they believe that that's a freeing subject that allows the individual then to progress and to pursue and to evolve in their human character. The negative side of that post-Christian era is the giving over of God to that society to a debased mind. And I don't know about you, but maybe you have interacted with individuals of the, our society and you have been left in a quandary like, I just don't get where they're coming from anymore. Has that happened to you? In fact, it happens to me almost on a daily basis where I just don't understand where people are coming from anymore. The level of selfishness in our nation is unbelievable. This idea of entitlement has gone amok in our country. And the thinking of right and wrong is unbelievable. Where an individual can be asked, for example, if I approach someone and I say to them, I am an alien from the planet Uranus. The question would then be, would you allow that individual to continue to think that that's who he is? Or would you correct him? The vast majority of people in our country stated that they would allow him to believe what he wants to believe rather than to correct him. That's unbelievable to me. What, what fantasy world are we living in? Are we being given over to a debased mind because of our rejection of God on so many different levels? If that wasn't troubling enough, look at what Paul went on to say in his last letter to Timothy. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. That's the most understated word in the ESV. It should be perilous, hard times. For people will be, look at his description, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud and arrogant, abusive and disobedient to parents. They'll be ungrateful and unholy and heartless and unappeasable, slanderous without self-control. 
They'll be brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And he writes, avoid such people. What we are seeing as our nation continues to reject God, as we continue to purge him from every public place in our society, we are unleashing the conscience of the individual to pursue what's right or wrong within their own eyes. And there is no longer the higher morality of Scripture governing the heart of the individual, the wicked heart of the individual, and therefore the heart of the individual is allowed then to continue in its pursuit of the evilness there within. That's what I believe is happening before us. That all of these things, the pornography, the drug abuse, the suicide, the tensions with North Korea, the shootings that we have taken place, these are all outward symptoms of an inward problem. And that is the wickedness of the heart of man no longer being restrained by their conscience and the scriptures, the word of God. So, Pastor Eric, is there any prophetic implication in this? I think there is significant prophetic implications. And let me demonstrate this for you. We felt that the regathering of Israel in 1948 was the beginning of the end. And the stage is being set. As the Bible prophesied that Russia would align with the nations of the Middle East as they have done, Israel would be a nation under complete tension within the Middle East, which they are. They have now found that they are able to build the, the temple there in Jerusalem without disturbing the Dome of the Rock, which will now allow for the third temple to be built. Everything is pushing forward just as the Bible said it would. And accompanied with that is not only the scenario in the Middle East that is coming to perfect fruition according to the predictions of the Word of God, but then we also have this incredible apostasy within the church. The church is moving radically away from the healthy theology of Scripture and embracing the social uh, desires of the culture. And then on top of it, we have what we see today. The third pillar within the platform of the return of Jesus Christ, and that is the wickedness of man's heart. Let us take a moment to consider this passage by Jesus in Matthew 24, 36 through 39. He says, but concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son of Man, but the Father only. But he gives us this in verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Within these words, I get a picture of a society that not, that's not uh, represented in one of those apocalyptic movies that we have all seen, right? 
the, the town is all dust-filled and everybody's walking around with scarves and glasses. And it looks like, you know, the old Mad Max movies or some other apocalyptic movie that you may have seen and the tumbleweeds are blowing through the streets because of the nuclear holocaust that has taken place. But a society that is prospering and going about their day and living without any type of restraints and so forth. But what about these days of Noah in which he alludes to? He describes the outward, they're marrying and giving in marriage, eating and drinking and so forth. And they did so oblivious all the way up until the rain started falling. But if you take this back to the book of Genesis, Moses gives us further insight to what was actually happening in the days of Noah that provoked the judgment of God. And this is what's troubling to me based upon what we have just seen and the wickedness that's manifested through the heart of an individual today. Let's read these words together. Genesis 6, 5 through 8. The Lord saw that wickedness of man was great in the earth. And every intention of the thoughts of his what? Heart was only evil continually. That was the issue. We don't have to get to some apocalyptic place. We just need to allow the wickedness of the heart of an individual to manifest itself. And do we not see that today? Absolutely. Everything that we have read today, we can look to our society and say, wow, that is really descriptive of the society that I live in. And then you say, well, Pastor Eric, it's been 2,000 years. Wasn't society always like that? Yes, but here's what I would say to you. In time past, Israel wasn't a nation. In time past, the world scene wasn't set as it is currently set today. In time past, you didn't have the apostasy of the church like you are seeing today. You have multiple indication and evidences that the Lord's return is imminent. And then to top it all off, we find the evil of man's heart is, continu is evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man for whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds and of heaven. For I am sorry that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It sounds like the wickedness of man's heart unrestrained was the final straw, doesn't it? then you parallel it with everything else that the Bible said was going to happen in the last days. And, oh, you should get shivers up your spine. As Jeremiah said, we must understand the problem before we can recommend the solution. And the problem is the heart of man. As he writes, he says, the heart is deceitfully and above all things, is deceitful above all things, excuse me, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? He goes on in verse 10. I don't know if it's behind me. I, the Lord, search the heart, test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. David wrote in the Psalms, he said, for I know my transgressions and my sins is ever before me. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. 
For he says, behold, I was brought forth in what? Iniquity, not in goodness or moral neutrality, but in iniquity, he says. And sin, in, and in sin did my mother conceive me. But behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. As he went on later, he said these beautiful words. He says, O Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And the prophet Ezekiel says that in the last days, he says, God says, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. For as those whose heart goes after detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord. For as the Net Bible renders, the fool says to themselves, there is no God. And notice what happens. As they say there is no God, they go on to say, they sin and commit evil deeds. None of them does what is right. We are faced with an internal problem that is the wickedness of man's heart. And the only resolution to that problem is the gospel of Jesus Christ, folks. I want to give you four takeaways this morning. Number one, please write these down. We are living in the last days and must live accordingly, number one. What does it mean to live accordingly? The Bible is clear in what the manner in which we should live as Christians. We should walk in holiness. We should walk in uprightness before the Lord. We need to prepare ourselves by knowing the word of God, knowing what we believe and why we believe it. We need to be preparing our children, folks. We can no longer be like an ostrich with our head in the sand thinking everything's going to get better. And let us please, listen to me for one moment. Let us please forget this idea that we need to ask the world to prepare for our children. No, we need to prepare our children for the world. Today, the understanding is, is that the world is going to prepare itself to receive my child within it. Really? I'd like to see that happen. No. We need to prepare our children for the world. We need to have dialogues with our kids. We need to be talking and praying with our kids. We need to be open for them to approach us at any time of the day or night. They need to know that we are open and available to them. Even my daughter at school, she'll call us and say, hey, dad, I got a question for you. And then it's usually about how much money she needs or once we get past all of that. But that being said, we need to prepare our children for what is coming next. Let me ask you a question. How many of you here were here when we started this church 20 years ago? Raise your hand. Some of you, some of you. How much has the world changed in 20 years? A ton. I think all of us would probably say it's changed faster than we've ever expected it to change. If the Lord tarries any further and our children are going to be adults within the next 10, 5, or 20 years, what is the world possibly going to look like for them? Do we honestly believe it's going to get better? 
without an intervention from God, do we honestly believe the world is going to get better? Or are we going to see the wickedness of man's heart further display itself in the manner like it already is? We need to examine our own hearts before the Lord, folks. We need to examine our hearts to find out if we have entered into a position of, before God of apathy, complacency, or carnality. Why do I say that? Because the answer to the world's problems is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the only thing that is capable of ripping out of that individual that heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh. It's the only thing that's going to create in them that clean heart as David prayed for. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is that Christian experience that you and I have experienced as followers of Jesus Christ. That is the answer. But here's what I find to be happening. That we've become comfortable and complacent and apathetic. And we've lost that zealousness to share our faith in Jesus Christ. And some of you may say, I've been sharing it and I keep getting knocked down and I keep getting knocked down and it's hard to keep getting back up. Again, please remember that God has left us here for this time as ambassadors for him and he'll help us get back up again because that family member you're battling with, that coworker, that friend, that acquaintance, that spouse that you are battling with, you're not battling with them, you're battling for them. And so let us be diligent in prayer and looking to see the gospel of Jesus Christ being shared and spread. And it starts here with our church, guys. We're not looking at anybody else. We're looking here at Calvary. What can we do? And number four, we need to grow in our faith. We need to grow in our faith if we are going to stand strong in these last days. And that's what the Lord would have for us. I share this with you today because I was praying and hoping that if we had our heads in the clouds or buried in the sand, that we would remove them. We knew it was bad. We, we knew things were getting really uh, strange and difficult there in the world around us, but now I've put some teeth to it. And if you have children, or if your children have children, what is the future going to look like for them? So do we cease fighting today or do we fight all the more? We have been given the Holy Spirit and who can resist him? I know that nothing will ever separate me from the love of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God will never leave me nor abandon me as I walk this world with him. Do you have a loved one today that isn't saved, that you want to see saved? Do you have a friend or coworker? Do you know somebody who's in so desperate of need of the gospel of Jesus Christ, their lives are being devastated by drugs or pornography or maybe even the thought of suicide? You have the answer. It is like a doctor holding the inoculation to a disease that is killing another person, but because they're afraid to pick them with that needle, they don't want to administer it. Really? 
How can you say that you love someone if you aren't going to go to the point of risking that relationship for the sake of the truth? We need to re-examine our own hearts.